This program, of course, is presented by Pro Wrestling Illustrated, the most widely read, widely sold, and respected wrestling magazine in the world today. This is the Pro Wrestling Illustrated Podcast. I'm your host, PWI senior writer Al Castle. Going to be joined in a moment by my co-host, Dan Murphy, and we've got plenty to talk about. Uh, Heading into WrestleMania, uh, lots of big news, certainly this week, with uh, the return of Daniel Bryan. Word that he's been uh, medically cleared and should be back in a WWE ring before long. Actually did did a little bit of uh, work this past Tuesday night on SmackDown, so we'll talk about all the ramifications of uh, Daniel Bryan's return. Going to talk some... Uh, WWE Hall of Fame, go over to this year's class, uh, talk about the the merit, as it were, of uh, this year's inductees, and um, also talk a bit about some of the controversy surrounding the Women's Battle Royal and the decision to uh, name it after Fabulous Moolah, and then the subsequent decision to not name it after the Fabulous Moolah. And uh, Dan has a lot to say about Fabulous Moolah, her place in uh, wrestling history, and uh, all that controversy. So, Uh, A fun conversation coming up. Also, later on this show, uh, a conversation with a guy who was a a hot topic in our last podcast, Sammy Callahan from Impact Wrestling, fresh off uh, his own controversy with the uh, now infamous baseball bat incident with uh, Eddie Edwards. Uh, Talk to me uh, about the incident, uh, a lot of the, the hard feelings and ill will that have been generated. Um, and uh, in general, his career and what's going on with Impact Wrestling. They've got a big show coming up at WrestleMania weekend in New Orleans, Impact Wrestling versus Lucha Underground. Uh, so we talk about all that. Uh, a fun conversation for sure. Um, and, you know, I heard Sammy was uh, an interesting guy to talk to, and that was certainly the case, <laughs> as you'll see. So not for the squeamish. And uh, even at the end, you'll you'll see how... <laughs> how we said goodbye you know it's the kind of thing i i would typically uh edit out uh but you know i think it captured the flavor of the whole interview overall so uh stay tuned uh right now let me tell you about the latest issue of pro wrestling illustrated it is the june 2018 uh issue already available online and uh potentially in your mailbox uh now or soon if you are a print subscriber and lots to go through in this issue, uh, another fun issue. It is our our annual sort of WrestleMania-themed uh, issue, uh, and Dan Murphy's got a fun feature this year about stars who never competed at WrestleMania, and maybe you would have assumed they did, and stars, stars who did compete at WrestleMania, and you may have forgotten that they did. Uh, so a lot of fun. Check that out. A lot more in here. I guess the big feature is the annual report cards where uh, Dan dissects all the top stars in the sport and aside to them uh, grades. So uh, a fun look at how uh, careers are progressing of some of the top names in the sport. Check that out. I've got a hot seat interview with the current WWE Women's Raw Champion, Alexa Bliss, uh, that I, I thoroughly enjoyed doing and uh, I think an eye-opening interview. One thing that she really conveys in the interview, uh, different than, than a lot of wrestlers who talk about how you know, they, they really found success and kind of hit their stride when they tapped in to their their real self in their uh, television character. And Alexa makes it clear that the opposite is the case with her and how 
uh, far removed she is from the character you see on TV, and I certainly got the sense of that uh, talking to her. So uh, definitely worth checking that out. Uh, I've got a feature in there about uh, Impact Wrestling heavyweight champion Austin Aries. Um, there's a feature about stars that uh, faded from the WWE Universe making their comeback for the 25th anniversary uh, and much, much more. So the thing to do is pwi-online.com. Go there. Uh, you can buy the one issue. You get subscribed to the print edition. Uh, or you could subscribe to the uh, digital edition, and uh, it's customized for your laptop, mobile device, uh, what have you. Uh, the longer you subscribe, the deeper discount, so we thoroughly recommend that. Again, the thing to do, pwi-online.com. We're already getting to work on the next issue of PWI, conducting interviews, writing features. Uh, it never ends over here at Pro Wrestling Illustrated. Uh, so if you don't want to miss an issue, and they're all not to be missed pwi-online.com. Uh, you can also follow us on Twitter at official PWI. Find us on Facebook and send us a line at podcast at outlook.com. Uh, Dan uh, solicited for some some feedback, and we got some, and it was really uh, uh, valuable, and we thoroughly appreciate it. Uh, Dan, the Debbie Downer that he is, uh, really appreciate it as well. So, uh, again, please do that. PWIPodcast at Outlook.com. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or stream it, as you might be doing right now, at our website. Uh, thanks to our partners, podbean.com. Uh, let's get right into it. I guess the, the big news of the week is the return of Daniel Bryan. Something of a surprise. I mean, there were some signs pointing to it for a while, but... Uh, for so long, it seemed like it was such a closed door that WWE's, uh, you know, 180 on it, it kind of, uh, I think, caught a lot of people uh, off guard. Um, a, a big picture, what was your reaction and and how big a deal is it to get Daniel Bryan, one of the greatest wrestlers, uh, certainly of our generation, uh, back uh, in the ring? Yeah, I mean, number one, I thought that his speech to uh, begin SmackDown was one of the greatest moments of TV in, in WWE history. Um, it was just amazing. It, he got emotional uh, when the fans all pointed to the WrestleMania sign when he asked, you know, about I don't know when I'm going to make my return. And, and it was it was really organic and it it was well done. And it, it's an amazing story. Uh, like you said, Daniel Bryan, one of the best wrestlers of all time. Certainly, you know, he in our PWI poll every year he would win the uh, best wrestler pound for pound. He had about a five or six year run of, of winning that award. Uh, and the Wrestling Observer would have him as best technical wrestler for years at a time. Um, so it's really, it's it's amazing. I never thought WWE would allow it because now if he does have another injury or another, you know, serious injury or a recurrence, uh, the legal risk is there. And, and, you know, who knows what how that'll kind of work out. But he got cleared and now the world is open in terms of a, a lot of dream matches. I mean, him against Brock Lesnar, him against Nakamura. Uh, Brian against, I mean, AJ Styles. There, there are dozens of guys, Samoa Joe, uh, that could make for amazing opponents in WWE. Uh, it's just a matter of, you know, when he'll be ready to go and, uh, you know, if his health can sustain it. Yeah, I think it speaks to how much has changed since he was last in the ring that all these new dream matches are created in WWE that, that weren't even a possibility when he left the ring. I mean, you touched on, on a few of them. Uh, these are matches that you once thought wouldn't be possible in WWE. I mean, because they weren't even looking at guys like AJ Styles and, and Nakamura. And now Daniel Bryan, 
uh, one of the best wrestlers, uh, certainly of, of recent history, back in the ring with a lot of the other best wrestlers in, in recent history uh, at his disposal. Um, so is is that just good news or because the potential, you know, it seemed like it, it was a given that in one way or the other, we would see Daniel Bryan back in the ring, maybe by the end of the year, but the thought was that it would not be in WWE. And that was exciting for a lot of people because of the potential for, for matches in Ring of Honor, in New Japan, uh, Okada, Kenny Omega. Um, so is it uh, uh, more gratifying, a good thing, that all the, the dream matches are available in WWE, or a kind of a downer that those other matches are at, at least uh, on the sidelines for now? I think it's a good thing. I mean, I'd rather see Brian in, in WWE on the bigger stage um, because there are more fresh opportunities, but also because, you know, it's, he put in his time on the Indies. He, he had all the great matches there uh, and helped elevate guys like Joe and Gargano and, and dozens of guys that he worked with, but that had fantastic matches, him and Nigel McGuinness and, and others. Um, he put in that time. Now it's, it's good to see him kind of have that run in WWE in the main stage because, you know, his, his one championship run um, well, his main title run with the, the uh, WrestleMania win, it was cut short. I mean, his, his time at the top didn't, you know, it, it ended prematurely because of the injury. Uh, now that there's a second opportunity, I think it's a good chance for him to pick up where he left off. And it's better to do that in WWE than on the Indies or New Japan, I would say. Do you think WWE gets it right this time? I mean, you, you mentioned his first title reign and, you know, WWE was basically dragged kicking and screaming to put the title on him and have him headline WrestleMania. I mean, remember where he was in, in the months leading up to that as a Wyatt, you know, um, I mean, they 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 couldn't have been more off. And then it kind of reminds me of, of the Rey Mysterio title run. I mean, they sort of reluctantly put the title on him. It was more than that with Daniel Bryan, but not a whole lot more than that. And and as you touched on, the injuries cut that short. So maybe they would have gotten more behind him. But certainly all these years later, I mean, that's where some of the irony is that it, you get the sense that they realize it, it took him not wrestling anymore for them to realize what a big wrestling star he is. And you, you do get the sense, you know, the way they put the news release out early in the week, opening SmackDown with it, clearly positioning him in, in a key uh, a match potentially for WrestleMania. You get the sense that they realize now what they have in Daniel Bryan. Yeah, I think they do. And I think they also realize that they've relied for too long on part-time guys. And, um, you know, you, you're really short bona fide headliners. Um, you know, maybe Randy Orton, you got your John Cena, you've got your maybe Seth Rollins. Um, you know, I mean, there are these guys who are main event guys for, for raw or for house shows, but in terms of mainstream, huge names, uh, that can headline a WrestleMania, it's, it's really kind of starting to dwindle. You've got the guys who are on the way out and the younger guys who haven't quite developed into that spot. Daniel Bryan's right in the middle. Um, he's the guy who you can put him on the marquee. He's, he's going to draw a big wrestling audience, if not a mainstream audience. Um, but he was, uh, he, he fills a niche that WWE was really lacking. Now, in terms of opening SmackDown with him, I think it was great. Again, I, I love the speech he made, but part of me, a small part of me just thought, you know, wouldn't it have been great if instead of them revealing that he had been cleared, the beatdown that happened later happened. 
Yeah. And, and and he took a big hellacious bump with the fans literally thinking that he could never bump again. And imagine the reaction and the heat on Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn. It could have really been a, a huge storyline. You know, it's the trade-off. But the word was I, I out like, by then, you know, all over well, mainstream media and all that. But if they hadn't put the word out, that's what I'm saying. If they oh, had I see. cleared sure. him earlier in the day or whatever and not put anything on Twitter, he'd been cleared. And then, okay, we're going to release this after the fact and, and caught everybody by surprise. Uh, it could have been a, a hell of a moment. But either way, it was it was a fantastic move. Yeah, that's a good point. And, and, and I guess reasonable people can uh, debate that because on, on one hand, um, you you forego the the potential for a viewership bump if people just think it's another episode of SmackDown. So there was more eyes on that show because of WWE promoting it ahead of time, which is something that they get criticized for not doing enough, promoting something they're going to do ahead of time. So, um, yeah, but but then the shock value, as you touched on, would have been a lot more if we didn't know he had been cleared and, and took that beat down. Um, and, and, you know, you mentioned concerns about his health. I'm sure WWE has him. Um, what do you expect to see in the ring? I mean, it's, it's sort of interesting that everybody defaults to saying, oh, you know, these dream matches we're going to have, he's going to have with uh, Nakamura and AJ Styles. We don't know what Daniel Bryan um, we're getting, um, not just because of, of physical limitations that are going to be forced on him, but I also think that he needs to tone it down. And and one of the, the benefits of him clearly being as over as he is and, and maybe coming back to WWE as one of its top stars, if not its top star already, is that he doesn't need to do everything that he was doing um, before. I mean, if if he was still putting the, the, the kind of matches together that he did when he was, you know, 22 years old wrestling Morishima in, in the Manhattan Center... Uh, I think he's a fool. I mean, one of the, again, one one of the perks of becoming as big a star as he is is that you can tone it down and and you should tone it down to extend your career. So this is all to say, if I see a top rope headbutt, I'm gonna be very disappointed. Yeah, it, well, the ironic thing is he toned down a lot of his stuff uh, during his first WWE run. He wasn't doing a lot of the things he did in Ring of Honor. Um, you know, his style is much more WWE style, much safer. I mean, it's, it's not doing two shows a week. It's doing four, you know, whatever the case may be from his indie schedule to WWE. Um, but I think that he has, now he's got a name and a reputation and people are going to pop for him for, for little things. Um, but what he could do is go back to the style he used to use, use more grappling and more submissions. And maybe, you know, introduce the cattle mutilations to WWE in addition mm-hmm. to the yes lock and things like that. Show another side to himself and cut down on some of the big bumps he'd been taking. And in that way, I mean, he could actually become better by be going back to his old style um, and do more of a submission-based style rather than the, the high-risk, high-bump kind of thing. Yeah, I'm looking up his age right now. Uh, 36. So he's up there. I mean, he, he's probably in the second half of his career right now. Uh, but he's young enough that if all goes well, they, they should be able to get another several years out of him. I'm still could be in his physical prime, you know, kind of reminded of, um, Shawn Michaels when he took that long break and came back and, and a lot of people argued had the, the best years of his career, in that that second half, the second chapter of his uh, run, um, I I hope we see something like that from Daniel Bryan. But uh, again, if he goes right back into 
some some crazy bumps. Uh, I mean, I, did you see anything in in the angle with Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn that uh, made you feel uneasy? Not not that it was supposed to make you feel uneasy to a degree. Right. You know, sure. I mean, it was supposed to really kind of tease. I think everything was done as, as safely as, as possible. It looked pretty vicious. It, it had the impact that it was meant to have. But I think that they played it safe and did, did well with it. So, yeah. no, I wasn't really concerned about it. And it's funny you mentioned his, number one, the comparison to Shawn Michaels, who was his trainer early on, sure. uh, which is kind of neat that they're, you know, they both had a seemingly career-ending injury and, and made a return from it. Um, but you mentioning his age just suddenly brought a memory to mind. Years ago, I had to go to a, uh, well, I went up to Oshawa, Ontario for a, um, a wrestling show. Uh, but the night before, there was a meet and greet at a bowling alley. And a bunch of the wrestlers were going to be at the bowling alley, and I was there for that. Uh, but I got there real early. And the first people there was uh, Daniel Bryan, who, you know, Bryan Danielson, who I had never met face-to-face at that point. And a young kid, a trainee who was there who picked him up from the airport or whatever, Michael Elgin. And Michael okay. Elgin at the time, he was uh, a trainee, and he they called him Fat Farm. Because he used to, I guess, show up in the gym wearing the Fat Farm clothing line. He was a chubby kid, and the fat he wrestled under the name Fat Farm for a little while. So I walked up because I know knew Elgin, and I walked up. I'm like, "Hey, Fat Farm, you know, how's it going? Uh, anyone else here? You know, uh, any other workers?" And Daniel Bryan looked at me, and he's like, "What the hell, man? How do you know <laughs> Fat Farm and not me?" <laughs> it's just funny because that was like 13 or 14 years ago, maybe. And uh, it, I mean, it seems like it was just yesterday. But the yeah. look on his face. We're like, man, people are recognizing Fat Farm and not me. This is terrible. That's great. Yeah. And then he goes on to headline WrestleMania. And I just did the math, looked up Shawn Michaels' age and did the math. And do you know that he was the exact same age when he did his comeback, 36, in 2002? Seriously, wow. Yeah. That's yeah. incredible. Yeah, and he got, you know, what, almost another 10 years, right? I think another, I think he had an eight-year run because he wrapped up in 2010. So, man, if we could get another eight years or, or more out of Daniel Bryan, that'd be fantastic so uh yeah just i think a good good news story all around um do you assume we're getting daniel bryan and shane mcmahon versus kevin owens and Sami Zayn at wrestlemania not necessarily i mean it, it certainly looks like it could be the way to go but um i don't know i mean i think that would be a waste of well i mean anytime shane mcmahon's for the last two Shane McMahon matches, I thought, well, it was a waste of a match because Shane McMahon had no business being in the ring with AJ Styles or The Undertaker. Um, I think it would be a waste of a match because I don't think that Daniel Bryan's comeback should be wasted on, on you know, a tag team match with Shane McMahon, you know. Um, but given but again, that, that he's been out of the ring for so long and theoretically will only have a couple of weeks to get in, in ring shape, WrestleMania, maybe it's not the worst yeah, idea if, to put him in a match where you could kind of limit what he does. But if you're going to do a tag match and you like the guy that's going to carry the workload, then is Shane McMahon yeah. who wrestles twice a year. You know, I mean that's that's no good either. I mean, I, I'd rather see him in a one-off singles match against against Owens or something along those lines if they're going to go down that road. But then again, you know, this is a McMahon thing. Uh, I thought that Ronda Rousey's debut was is right. kind of weakened by the fact that she's in there with Stephanie McMahon. It's the McMahon's always, hey, we got to have a McMahon on the show. That's, Isn't that that's funny? what really I draws. Mean, two, two of the biggest uh, uh, attractions of WrestleMania, the return of Daniel Bryan and the debut of Ronda Rousey, and both of them um, could involve McMahon's in, in a match. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's that's not a coincidence, no. you know, and I'm sure Triple H will have a match too. And, you know, well, he does. In well, the, he's, you know, he's the Ronda match, match but, yeah. 
exactly. Yeah. yeah. Wow. So. All right. Um, uh, nothing I wanted to touch on. I, I don't know if we'll get, we'll probably get one more podcast in before WrestleMania. Uh, but uh, regardless, the Hall of Fame, let me see if I could pull up the uh, the class here. We know the big ones. And I thought I'd, I'd go over with you um, this class. And, you know, there's, this always becomes a discussion. What are the standards for WWE Hall of Fame? The, the whole question of, is somebody worthy or unworthy when, You've got guys, you know, and I, I'm not down on Coco Beware or anybody else, but but that always comes up, right? Or Drew Carey, for that matter. So the legitimacy of the Hall of Fame always comes up. But knowing what WWE standards are, or or at least what you think WWE standards should be, what do you think um, of, of this class? And uh, we've got Goldberg, we've got the Dudleys, we've got uh, Hillbilly Jim, Jeff Jarrett, which is a, a big surprise. Um, who else was, Mark Henry was just announced, Ivory, uh, so overall, what do you think about this class? Honestly, I don't think any of them are worthy of the Hall of Fame. I mean, I, I mean, I know the WWE Hall of Fame isn't this prestigious, it's not the Pro Wrestling Hall of Fame or any of the, the, the three variations that are out there, or the Observer Hall of Fame, it's, it's WWE's little marketing thing, but these guys did not have Hall of Fame careers. I mean, they just didn't. I mean, Jeff Jarrett got a bunch of title runs during the dying days of, of WCW. He started his own company and got fired from that. I mean, he's a decent worker, but uh, never a five-star match. And Dudley's won more tag team titles than anyone else, but that they were never a real draw. Uh, their two most memorable matches were the three ways at WrestleMania. They were never really headliners, uh, not counting Bully Ray's singles run and, and impact. None of these guys were, were the focal point of a promotion for a sustained period of time. And, I mean, guys like Mark Henry, I mean, did he – I think he won a European title at one point, maybe. No, he was like, the I mean, World Heavyweight well, no, Champion. He had the World ta- yeah, yeah, that's right. He, had that, he had, did have that. It was the, 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 the SmackDown version of the World Heavyweight title, but yeah. nevertheless, yeah. Yeah. But I mean, you know, it's just uh, it's lacking star power, it's lacking any kind of credibility and, you know, you know, good for them they get a payday out of it and get to get a, a round of applause at WrestleMania, but it doesn't really excite me. I th- I think the star power issue is a a legitimate one and I think that's just a reality of the the well kind of going dry of stars. Goldberg I think uh is adequate in that he was a major star, so he's a fine headliner. But I don't know that it really kind of captures the imagination of, of fans like, um, you know, when and, and, and this is maybe a good thing. It speaks to WWE getting in a lot of those guys who felt like huge oversights, you know, Bret Hart and Bruno San Martino and 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 those types that what you're left with is that next rung, you know, uh, guys who and, and this whole question of of worthiness, I'm willing to accept that. WWE has a a different standard than a legitimate Hall of Fame. And as you touched on, if this was the Observer Hall of Fame or something like that, I don't know that any of these guys, maybe Goldberg, because he was, uh, maybe he's in it. I don't even know if he's in it. Uh, but but No, was, I don't think, because I mean, Goldberg was only on top really in, in WCW for like three years, three and a half years. But he and, was and, and uh, part of, a, a big, He had a big couple runs after and a big run. Oh, he was huge. He yeah. was huge. But I mean, it's, it took for, I, if I'm not mistaken, I don't even recall if Sting is in the, the Observer Hall of Fame. I think he if just so, he got in over the last couple recently, of years. Yeah. yeah. But for the longest time, even though he was a top guy in WCW for 15 years, um, a little bit more, uh, they they just looked at it as like, yeah, he, he really kind of had a, you know, he he really didn't do anything that stood out other than a couple matches against like Flair where he was carried. 
Right. And I mean, if, if Sting is that much of a controversial pick, I mean, I can't see Goldberg, you know, by the similar criteria doing it. But again, like you said, WWE has its own criteria. Nobody knows what that is. Class, I mean, uh, uh, yeah, it, it's and, and the, the, you know, some of it, the criteria has revealed itself over the last few years. And and uh, it's not I mean, what it is, is a a headline act, a big star. Right. Um, a black guy or a black person. Right. A woman, yep. a tag team, uh, and typically a dead wrestler, and they haven't done that yet. Even there's some talk, I guess, of Bam Bam maybe getting in and, and kind of filling that slot, and that that looks can be pretty cynical. But come on, I mean, if you look at what? some of the classes of the last few years, clearly they're just going through that checklist. You know, we need a black guy here, we need a woman here. I mean, Beth Phoenix, and I like Beth Phoenix as much as the next person, but um, come on, uh, and and yeah. so understanding that it's criteria funny. i think this class is actually better than most because i think ivory um was uh again by WWE standards uh an an important act in her time kind of a transcendent act in in that she had her roots in in glow and i think was a a pretty good worker at a time where that wasn't really valued in wwe so uh, actually, I had kind of been expecting that her to, to go in for a while, and glad that she finally uh, does. Uh, Mark Henry again, if and very cynically looking at it, if you're going to just put a black guy in there because you need that filled, Mark Henry, I think absolutely by WWE standards is a Hall of Fame uh, worthy act. In that, um, you know, I think he's been underrated uh, for a long time. First of all, I mean, the, the how about this? I mean. If you're going to go by that set of standards and that inclusion kind of criteria, um, and, and, and that is true, it's good that you kind of point that out because I know that in a recent WWE tryout, um, you know, they brought in a bunch of prospects, a bunch of indie people were invited, and basically they were told, yeah, we have a certain number of slots. Uh, we're looking for, you know, we need the black guy, we need the Indian guy, we need the blonde girl, we need this, yeah. and we're only going to hire one of each of those groups. I mean, they were literally told that, and I'm not going to say who, who told me or who announced a different thing, but they basically said, you know, this is a casting call. Like we have to fill roles yep. and you know, you have to fit within this, this kind of ethnic thing. That's the corporate mentality of WWE now, but going back, you talk about Henry, you know, if he's going to be the African-American that is, is nominated, man, everybody from Thunderbolt Patterson to, uh, to Kamala. I mean, there's been so sure. many other guys, it's just that they're not in that little narrow window that WWE is looking at. And I mean, there's so many other people who, who deserve inclusion before you ever get to a Mark Henry in not to no offense to Mark Henry, but these other guys, I think even Mark Henry would say that. Um, right. You, you can know, get to Mark Henry it. 10 years from now, even right. Right. Yeah. Right. Exactly. He'll be around. Yeah. 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 But then the other part of it is just the politics. Right. And and the fact that maybe the most important criteria is that, you know, Vince McMahon is willing to make a phone call to you. Um, uh, that's what makes the the Jeff Jarrett one weird, even though that feels political in a different way. Right. Like sort of getting the last laugh, you know, similar to what with Bret Hart and Bruno San Martino at the end of the day, you know, you're working for us, essentially, that kind of thing. Um, so, but really, Jarrett uh, aside, uh, I think it's a fine class. You know, Hillbilly Jim was was not at all a big star, but kind of the last of that 80s rock and wrestling. Uh, I guess there are a couple others, King Kong Bundy, a few others. 
the cartoon character types that uh, have not gotten in, in the Hall of Fame and a pretty good soldier for them for a long time. I and mean, he was hawking Coliseum videos like I think into the early 2000s. <laughs> um, so a good citizen, you know, on their part. If you need a, a a tag team to go in there, the Dudleys, you know, how much of it is legit, how much of it is just sort of marketing, but they can lay claim to being the most decorated tag team in, in wrestling history. So I think that's fine. Uh, and even Kid Rock, eh, I mean, I'm not crazy about the celebrity wing. They, they actually haven't done it for a couple of years, so I would have been fine if they never went back to it again. But if you're going to do it, he is a guy who has had pretty strong ties to WWE as a celebrity for, for a long time. So better than like a Drew Carey who made a, a one-off appearance and somehow ended up in the, the Hall of Fame. So uh, I don't have a, a huge problem um, with this. You know, not that it's a problem, but but if it's there's kind of a downer, it's that Goldberg is the headline act. And, um, you know, I, I think most people don't really view him as a WWE guy even though it's clear that that the Hall of Fame has become less the WWE Hall of Fame and more their version of the Pro Wrestling Hall of Fame, and, and they've gotten guys like Sting and Vern Gagne in, in, in the last few years. So in that sense, I guess he's fine. But also, Goldberg historically has not been uh, the, the, the biggest sort of fan of wrestling and its history. And I just wonder how much of... What kind of speech he'll give. I mean, how gracious he'll be um that kind of thing so and any thoughts on that i mean i i won't i don't expect him to get out there and shoot and and you know rip on things or no. anything like that i think that you know uh goldberg's a pro he'll go up go up he'll make his nice speech he'll thank the people he wants to thank um you know probably put over rick flair a little bit some of the other guys from from wcw and and that's about it i mean you know, there's a lot of things to criticize about WWE or wrestling in general. And uh, Goldberg was not a part of it for a long period of time. And he was candid, which is rare in wrestling. Um, and it's welcome. I think uh, yeah. it's good for people to actually have an opinion and, and be willing to speak out because that's what helps WWE or other businesses change. You know, criticism will help spur growth and, and things like that. Um, but he did come to terms with them. He came back for one more run. They were they were really good to him. They treated him well during that time. Um, much and he was a difference than maker during his first run. Yeah, he well, moved I mean, the needle. He, he 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 did. Yeah, I mean, at first, you know, the first couple fans uh, remember when he was a booed. His name was booed in uh, Minnesota, and everybody was cheering for Lesnar. And even Lesnar was kind of laughing in the ring, like, "Oh, this isn't going to go well." But about two weeks later on Raw, the crowd was completely behind Goldberg and he, he had his best kind of WWE run during that period. Um, he was as hot as he was almost uh, during the late nineties. Yeah. I thought um, that went perfectly so, that, that whole story. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I think he'll give a nice speech and everything will be fine. And then the bad blood is, is long in the past. What do you think uh, Jeff Jarrett says? <laughs> um, it'll be interesting. If he talks about China. I think, um, you know, his last WWE match, WWF match was a good housekeeping match, uh, for the intercontinental title where he went into Vince Mann's office right beforehand. And due to a snafu, uh, his contract wasn't extended and he demanded what he thought was fair compensation for the match. Um, threatening to basically leave with the intercontinental title and go to WCW, uh, Vince caved in, but that made him persona non grata in WWE ever since until now. Uh, China was part of that story. Um, yeah. Him agreeing to do the job for China for the IC title 
uh, but she's not somebody that gets a lot of attention these days. And it'll be interesting to see if he kind of brings her name up. And if so, what the reaction is in the room. Yeah. Do you have to run or do you have uh, time for one quick topic? Yeah, quick topic. Let's do it. Okay. Uh, fabulous Mula. I, I, I forgot to bring it up, but but having you on the phone, I, I definitely wanted to uh, bring it up to you, given given your history and, and the book and all that. Um, so really interesting that in Women's History Month, they they tried this gesture of naming the, the battle royal after Mula. They get this huge backlash um, uh, for, on, on social media, people talking about she wasn't a good person. She was basically a pimp and and uh, um, used these women and sucked them dry and took their money and pushed so much that uh, uh, advertisers start uh, kind of not being too happy about it. And WWE, a couple days later, pulls it and, and takes her name off of it. So uh, what were your thoughts on that? I mean, is, is that a, a fair portrayal of Fabulous Moolah? Do you think it was the right move? I just wonder, why didn't they pick somebody else? I mean, they've got, and, and you bringing up China reminded me of it. They've got this wealth of, of, of uh, women in WWE's history. A lot of them no longer with us. A lot of them probably a lot safer a pick than, than Moolah. It's interesting that they went with her. Yeah, and, but then again, it's not exactly like uh, China's legacy is exactly. No, I'm not, not even China. I, mean, I don't even know of, that they have to be dead. I mean, why don't you call it the Alundra Blaze uh, Battle Royal? Yeah, that's, that could be done. Uh, now, in Mula, we, we talked about Pat and I did the book uh, Sisterhood of the Squared Circle The History and Rise of Women's Wrestling. And obviously, Mula is a, a cornerstone of that. Uh, but we also have a chapter that we, because we had to address it, and it's called The Complicated Legacy of the Fabulous Mula. Mm-hmm. And it basically gives a lot of conflicting different things. There, there are some women who trained under Mula um, who, who will praise her to high heaven. She was fair. She was a southern, charming southern woman. She gave me opportunity. She helped me see the world. It was great. There are others who bury her as the most evil person who ever lived. And the truth lies somewhere in the middle. The tough part is, Looking at what she was doing in the 50s and 60s and 70s, even the 80s, from the point of view of 2018. I mean, this is this woken era of Me Too and everything else. Um, but back in that era, a wrestling promoter, uh, let alone a, somebody who was booking a group of, of workers, but a promoter, it wasn't exactly – I mean, there were a lot of sleazeballs in the business. I mean, there were a lot of crooked promoters and, and throughout all of wrestling. Uh, common practices – um, were things that would be just outrageous today, but that's just what it was at the time. And Mula certainly did, you know, if you wanted to be a woman wrestler and, and not work the, the rogue independent shows, the outlaws, you had to go through Mula. And that means you had to move into her compound. You had to take all of your bookings through her. She would basically pay you at the end of the month what she thought that you were worth, not what the promoters were paying. There was no transparency. And she would subtract from that amount, your room, your board, your food, your training fees, whatever, you know, Hey, your, your share of the water bill this month. Oh, okay. I didn't realize I had to pay that. And that's kind of how it was. Um, and some of the women, obviously, you know, they were okay with it. Others weren't the pimping allegations. A lot of that can be kind of, I mean, it's hearsay. It's tough. Well, it's not really hearsay. People have claimed it, but there's a gray area in that where you send a woman off on the road to a promoter. It's like, okay, here are the two pretty girls that you asked for. Um, just make sure that you uh, send them back in two weeks and the girls get to the arena and the promoter says, okay, well, you're expected to do this, this, and this. The girl says, well, I didn't know anything about that. And the promoter says, well, why do you think we brought you in? Mm-hmm. Now, Mula may or may not been part of those conversations. I mean, who, who really knows? Um, it, it may have just been, you know, an expectation and, and that's it. 
But the reality of these women is, oh, okay, well, I don't have any ride. I don't have a cell phone. I can't call anyone. I'm stuck here. I'm on the road. Like, what am I going to do? Um, so it was kind of survival mode. Uh, and, you know, I mean, some women just stormed out of the arena and left Mula and whatever. I mean, when that kind of things happened. But again, it was a different time. Uh, it, it was just foolish, really, of WWE. It was kind of um, wrongheaded for them to think that in naming this after Mula in this era, that it wasn't going to cause a backlash. Uh, yeah. That was just kind of blindness on their part, because even last year when they named the, the, the May Young Classic, yeah. I remember people saying, that's a good thing they went with May and didn't try to name this Lamula classic. I mean, that was, right. because everybody knew that there'd be a backlash. And for the WWE marketing geniuses not to be aware of that is is really short-sighted. But it's crazy with, with the history they have with women that that's like the only two names they could come up with, you know, May Young and, and Mula, because... And I understand that there's a, a sentimentality because of the run they had at, at the end of their, their lives and their careers in uh, the 90s and 2000s when they were already very elderly. But goodness, I mean, there's, there's uh, and you know this as well as anybody, there's a big, big pool to select from, even if you limit it just to WWE and even if you just limit it to WWE in the last 30 years, you know, and again, who says well, they have to be dead? Call it the Wendy Richter battle. Right. right. And, and there was there was a reason for that, and it was because Mula had no interest in building new stars. She was the headliner. Yeah. Um, she might drop her belt in a little house show and, and then pick it up at the end of the tour, and it was never reported. It's always been said that she held the title for 28 years or whatever the case was. But she was never trying to make other stars because yeah. she didn't need to. She just needed to have a rotating group of girls. And there were great women wrestlers who, who worked at that time. Uh, but they don't have that that name because Mula wasn't interested in making them national commodities. She yeah. was the national commodity, so she she purposely held everybody down. What would you name it? <laughs> the WrestleMania Women's Battle Royal. <laughs> right, you got your way. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly it. All right, on that, you got to get back to work, uh, as do I. Thanks so much, Dan. This was a pleasure, uh, and we'll do it again, uh, hopefully, right before WrestleMania. Sounds like a plan. Okay, let's uh, now hear from star of Impact Wrestling and Lucha Underground and a guy who's been in the news a lot as of late, none other than Sammy Callahan. I guess I'll, I'll begin there. You know, that I'm talking to you, that I imagine you've been doing a lot of interviews, um, maybe that, that points to uh, all publicity being good publicity. Um, but how, how do you react to accusations that this whole... Uh, thing it's kind of in bad taste trying to to profit to promote it the t-shirts all of that how do you react to that are you kidding me bad taste <laughs> like to be honest i don't understand that at all I mean, i'm really getting sick speaking about this entire situation how is this in bad taste when for years upon years upon years in the professional wrestling business, people have been capitalizing off of accidents, off of things that happen in and out of the ring in any situation. How is that any different? Um, that, that's where this boggles my mind. How is this any different? People don't know the full situation. People don't know what happened. And if people want to talk smack, they can talk smack because I really don't give a crap what anyone says anymore. I said it in other interviews, and I'll not be PC. My give a f is broken. I'll, I'll you ask I'll answer one way that it's different and and you're right from from time immemorial uh, wrestling promoters and wrestlers have been cashing in on this the the argument and I think it's a valid argument is that it is a different time right so um, whereas once upon a time the heat would be on the wrestler now the heat kind of goes on the promotion because 
everybody's kind of in on it. They know what's going on, and they see a um, a, a legit accident, a potentially tragic accident, um, a wrestling promotion trying to cash in on, and it just feels kind of dirty. Uh, I think folks maybe are looking for some uh, acknowledgement that you know, we don't feel good about this. Uh, we we don't like that it happened, and and we don't want it ever to happen again. So, can you address that? Just sort of the the point that it this isn't 1980 anymore; it's 2018, and the heat doesn't go on a wrestler; it goes on the promoter. Uh, no, this is still a professional wrestling business. Uh, the inner workings of this business are still the same that it's been for generation upon generation upon generation. That's not going to change in the fact of why do I need to go out of my way to apologize to the fans for stuff they have no business knowing anything about? Please tell me that. No one can tell me that. No one can give me a straight answer on this because I've asked everybody. It's, so you... it's been on my mind. I've kind of become obsessed with it at this point mm-hmm. where please tell me how this is any different. Please tell me if this is professional wrestling. So this is professional wrestling. I'm doing nothing wrong. Do, do you see it as a personal issue to be addressed between you and Eddie, and that it, it was addressed, I imagine? Look, as soon as it happened, me and Eddie talked in the back, but we haven't talked since then. Things happen. Things happen. And now he's going out there and running his mouth and trying to tell people, oh, like, maybe he did it on purpose. Come on, Eddie. Mm-hmm. I didn't do this on purpose. I didn't do this to mark myself in the next echelon. Because like it or not, people can talk trash about me online or through the great vibes, but the facts are simple. I'm one of the most overbooked wrestlers on this planet today. I'm signed to two major television wrestling companies, and I am the draw. When I was in the main event, myself, me, 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 I am the draw because I draw higher ratings. I am the draw because I draw higher crowds, and people are talking about me on every platform. This transcends just wrestling at this point. So I don't feel bad about it. And all these people that want to continue to pry and cry and cry and cry and cry, they can kiss my ass. Are, are you bothered at all that um, a lot of these bad feelings seem to be directed uh, at you and not at Eddie? Eddie being looked at as kind of the victim and, and all this thing. But at the end of the day, you know, for wrestling, right, it's a dance and, and it takes two to tango. And very often the the person responsible for an injury is the injured person, right? And if, and if you look at kind of the mechanics, me as an outsider fan watching, it looked like Eddie had a, a role to play in that spot and maybe didn't play it. Um, so, uh, again, are you bothered that maybe too much of the blame is being cast on you? Look, here's the thing. Like you said, it takes two to tango and a dude got hit in the face with a baseball bat. Things happen. And why would I not capitalize off this? Dude, my shirt sales have gone up since that's aired on television. So for every person that's telling me I'm doing the wrong thing, for every person that wants to run their mouth, teenagers are on higher ratings. Teenage, what one of the things that everyone's talking about right now, and I'm in the forefront of that. So I really do not give a damn anymore about what anyone says. Like, here's the thing. You're going to keep asking me these same kind of questions, like how do I feel about these things? The, question, the answer's going to be the same every time. Yeah. I yeah. don't give a damn. Well, let me ask you a similar but but a different aspect of it right now. We've talked about the, the, the fallout and your reaction and Impact's reaction. Let's talk about, um, if you're okay with it, uh, the, the move itself. And there's been a debate about whether something like that should e- even be tried in wrestling. You've got um, a, a, a bat, a legit bat, that obviously can can hurt somebody uh, if, if it's not used correctly. And there is uh, a thought that, 
what's a baseball bat even doing uh, in a wrestling ring? Something goes a little wrong, and uh, again, you could have tragic consequences. Uh, your perspective is obviously much different than, than a fan because you're the professional. You're in there. You know sort of how the magic happens. Um, do you think there's a place for something like that? Absolutely. People do not understand what exactly went down. There's lots of variables in this equation, and no one will truly know what happened except for me and Eddie. Well, why, why can't this? Pro wrestlers have been doing justifying stunts for years upon years upon years. That's what makes us special. That's what makes our show like any, like better than everything else and so much different. Professional wrestling doesn't have to be just wrist locks and headlocks in the middle of a ring. Now it can have people flying out of the ring, and people do a death-defying stunt that you can only do in video games that people are doing in real life. Crazy stunts that look so ridiculous and that people are going to question our sanity and exactly what's going on. So I absolutely think there's a place for stuff like this in professional wrestling. Yeah. Let's talk a bit about uh, how all this uh, impacts, no pun intended, your career. And it sounds like you see it as a positive, and I understand that. I mean, as you said... You've been the talk of, of the wrestling industry now for uh, a few weeks, and um, Impact Wrestling sh could sure use the boost. The flip side of that is there's going to be people who see a guy who came up through the indies, made his way to, to WWE, didn't make it in WWE, you know, back down to, to Impact, and now has kind of this on his resume, potentially another blemish, whether you get the the uh, uh, reputation for, for being careless or unprofessional um, and that could cut both ways too, right? Maybe that's a good reputation to have. So uh, do you see this whole episode as a positive for your career? 100% positive. You know what? Sometimes all the cards are laid down on the table. You just got to say. And and uh, as far as your reputation, how how do you feel about your reputation? You know, I, I interviewed um, uh, Don Callis and, and Scott Demore uh, last week for uh, a feature we're going to do in, in Pro Wrestling Illustrated, the Hot Seat interview. And uh, I believe it was Don who said, and he said it was a shoot. I mean, I can't, I can't know how legit he was being, and this is all on the record, that uh, when we were talking about this, that you could be difficult to work with, uh, kind of uh, unhinged, unpredictable. And, you know, again, maybe that's a good thing for you. How do you see that, uh, that reputation developing as, as a good thing or potentially a drawback? You know, maybe I'm a crazy maniac that doesn't know what I'm doing, or maybe I'm a genius. That line that we walk is very, very close. And that's what makes me special, and, I'm, and that's what makes me what I am. Because I am unpredictable. You not know what I'm going to do next. You not know who I'm going to do it to next. Professional wrestling is lacking that at this moment. There's no wrestlers that had a reputation like a bro, uh, uh, a Brody or a Stan Hansen or a fader or guys like that. Those were legitimate tough guys that people were afraid of. People want to be afraid of me for now. Now because of this, so be it. I'm a five foot eight white kid from Ohio. So be it. I I will be the the bearer of everyone's hate. I will be the bearer of just everyone's negativity. I will take that on my five foot uh, five foot eight frame and I will ride that to the top. And and I think what you're suggesting, which is the case, that kind of emotion from fans could be a good thing. But are you worried at all about what um, that kind of reputation among promoters can do to you, that you become, uh, you know, this guy that, that maybe some promoters are reluctant to, to book because, 
whatever, not professional, little unhinged, difficult to work with, uh, all of that. Is, is any any Have you worry seen in your my part? schedule? Have you seen my schedule? I think my track record speaks for itself. I'm one of the only guys on the planet that's wrestled for all the major companies. WWE, NXT, Lucha Underground, Impact Wrestling, Ring of Honor, New Japan. Not a lot of people can say that, so I'm pretty sure my track record speaks for itself. So for now, people just come out of nowhere and be like, oh, he's unsafe, he's down, he's dangerous. No, I'm pretty sure my track record speaks for itself. And has that uh, gone up since this whole incident kind of got some notoriety? Dude, my bookings have gone up more and more and more and more and more. Since I left WWE, my bookings have been through the map, and I've beaten my body to a, a pulp lately because I've taken so many bookings. If anything, I want less bookings right now. So if people hate me and don't want to book me, so be it. I don't care. I'm making money, and I'm booked anywhere I want to be. So I'm going to continue to do that, and I'm going to keep just not giving it there. Yeah, yeah. Let's talk about Impact and, and how they're doing and, and your role in it. Uh, they're looking more for guys, it sounds like, more and more for, for, for guys to build around who've got um, a resume and some skill and a reputation, uh, but maybe not fully discovered, uh, similar to, you know, when they, they helped build AJ Styles and Samoa Joe all those years ago. What, what do you think about the, the business plan, the game plan for Impact right now? I think it's perfect because I think Don and I think Scott are being honest. They aren't trying to beat around the bush and say TNA is something that's not. Everyone knows that the, the, the reputation of Impact and TNA has been tarnished. But it still does have that legacy. It still does have some tripping factors. It still has a national television deal. Now these guys are going out of their way to step up and change the company for the better. And I think it's shown the product just since they've taken over in January. The Impact product has only gotten better and better and better and better and better. And now there's a guy like Austin Aries as the as the heavyweight champion that is being a bridge builder. And like now he's working for ring of honor. Now other people are working here and other people are working there. Like TNA is one of the first major companies. Impact is one of the last first major companies to be like, you know what? If it ain't WWE, we all need to be working together because pro wrestling is cool right now. And we can all strive together and make a true alternative. How, how great is that for a wrestler like you to have that that freedom to to be on TV with an impact wrestling and also take bookings pretty much wherever you like. I mean, I imagine, and, and I talked to Austin about that, and um, to, to him, that's really what sparked his interest in returning to impact. Dude, not since very rare occurrences in the 90s where Rick Rude was showing up on Raw and showing up on Nitro, like two different shows back-to-back, and people didn't know what was going on. Dude, I... I can truly be a, a a flag holder on this and truly be a trendsetter. I'm going to be on two nationally televised wrestling companies on the same week coming once the new season of Lucha Underground airs. I'll air on Lucha Underground one day and I'll air on Impact the next day. How many pro wrestlers can say that right now? Yeah, yeah. And while you're on the topic, you got you got the show coming up uh, in New Orleans. Uh, it, it uh, I think, sort of embodies what you're talking about, that new mindset of working with other companies. I think it sparked a lot of interest. And uh, also just to see, good to see Impact back on the road. I mean, there was like a two, three-year drought there where they hardly held a, a single live event. Um, so is, is that show in particular something you're really looking forward to? Absolutely. And I think just over the past couple of weeks, since we started announcing matches, the world is talking about impact wrestling. And the world is talking about Lucha Underground. I think that's going to be one of the best shows of the weekend, if not possibly the best. Some of the matches on that show is crazy. 
absolutely ridiculous when you really look at the card and no one else is going to have a show like that the entire week. Yeah. And, you know, I don't get a, a chance too much to talk to guys who work for, for Lucha Underground, and I've been thinking about Lucha Underground a lot in part because of uh, Monday Night Raw this past week and WWE kind of, you know, dipping their foot in the water to the whole uh, broken, woken Hardy's universe and a different way of presenting pro wrestling than they really have. And uh, when when seeing that, I, I always go back to Lucha Underground as sort of being the pioneer, even before the Hardys uh, in TNA, of, of taking this different approach to presenting wrestling. Uh, as a guy who's been in the business now for a while and, and done kind of the traditional presentation of, of wrestling for a long time, what do you see as kind of the, the ceiling for that and, and the appetite for breaking the mold of kind of a traditional sports presentation, doing something more cinematic? Um, do, do you think Lucha Underground in particular was really onto something with that formula? Absolutely, and I think the sky's the limit with this. There's so many different avenues, and so many different angles, and so many different ways of shooting stuff synthetically that can bring in a new set of wrestling fans that maybe want to turn into wrestling to begin with while still giving amazing in-ring action. Why can't we film stuff like that? That makes wrestling so different and so cool. Like, Professor Wrestling is an episodic weekly television show. So if you do the same thing week after week after week, people are going to start turning off and get boring. This is a true way to step it up and make wrestling different right now. Yeah. Yeah. And before I let you go, again, I'd be remiss if I didn't talk a bit about uh, WWE and, and your run there. When you came in there, you were among of a group of like indie stars who people were really excited about getting uh, a chance in WWE. A lot of those guys now on on the main roster, some of them have been world champions and and that kind of thing. And uh, you're not there anymore. So, and I'm sure you've been asked this a million times, but but what do you see as as what went wrong, if anything went wrong? Look, everyone's got to take their own road and everything happens for a reason. I am a big believer in time and timing. And it just wasn't my time there. It wasn't the right time for me there. And I'll be the first one to say I became a bitch. I walked on eggshells and I wasn't who I am. But by going through that situation, quitting the system and going out on my own and actually being a desperado, being an old school cowboy, I've been able to become something that I never dreamed of becoming. Through what I learned there and the chip on the shoulder I got has made me the person I am today. And I wouldn't have had that without that. So now, right now, I am starting to climb that mountain and truly become on top of that wrestling world. So here's the thing. I was a bitch. I ain't a bitch no more. I'm ready to be me for here on out. I'm going to ride or die by the way I live life. I, I just looked up your age while you were answering that question. And, and if this is right, uh, I'm surprised you're, you're that young because you've been at it so long, 30 years old. Uh, do you see it like that's not necessarily the end of that chapter? You're young enough that you could get another run over there when the time is right? You never know what's going to happen, man. That's what uh, I like to always uh, keep myself relevant. You never know where I'm going to show up, and you never know what I'm going to do. No one thought I was going to show up at Impact Wrestling the next week, show up at New Japan, but I did that. Yeah. Was was that decision to go to Impact uh, difficult at all? You touched on it. it. It's a brand that's pretty tarnished, and I get the sense that a lot of wrestlers are reluctant to go over there because of that and maybe not wanting to be associated with that tarnish. Uh, so to you, was it just an opportunity to, to get back on a television in front of a, a national audience, or was it something you had to think long, think long and hard about? 
everything I do has a reason. I, I'm not this idiot that people somewhat think I am. I plan things out. I'm a very planned out person for the most part. So when the decision came to come to Impact, I thought it was a no-brainer at the time because both of my boys were there. Dave and Jake Chris was there. So it's time to go be with them and us actually do something on national television together. Plus, I saw a new team coming in, and I was like, you know what? I want to be one of the guys on the forefront that says when Impact Wrestling gets good again, he's one of the reasons. What do you see as the uh, the ceiling for, for Impact? I mean, do you see it getting back to the level it was years ago when it was a pretty viable content uh, competition for WWE getting – Two million people watching on on TV each week. Well, that's the goal, man. The only place to go from here is up. Is is the infrastructure there in place to get there? Absolutely, I think it's one of the best locker rooms I've ever been a part of my career right now. Just the way they handle business, just the way how they're putting together wrestling. They're giving us the opportunity to be who we want to be and listen to our ideas. And not a lot of wrestling companies will do that. Yeah, yeah. All right, man. Well, thank you so much for taking the time. This was a pleasure, and uh, best of luck to you uh, in New Orleans and, and in the future. Hello? Yeah. <laughs> Do you hear me? Are we done now? We're done, yes. That's pretty much it. Okay, awesome. Thank <laughs> Thanks, you, Thanks, buddy. Appreciate it. No problem. Take care.